We will be looking at uh, verses 1 to 8 this evening, and then we'll have one more message in this book next week. We'll finish this book, and then we'll go back to the Psalms for a few months, and we'll chip away at some Psalms. But tonight will be Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, and this is, in a sense, um, pretty much the conclusion of this book. So, I'm going to read these verses. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days happen and the years draw near in which you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and valiant men bend down, The grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dark, and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low, and one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blooms, the grasshopper drags itself along. And the caperberry is ineffective, for man goes to his eternal home, but the mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the spring is broken, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at these words, help us to listen. Help us to understand. Help us to take heed the lessons contained herein. The implications, the applications, the the point that Solomon was driving at the point which we are to heed. Help us to understand. Please guide me as I speak your word for the benefit of your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Two of the greatest times in my life in terms of significant impact and growth have been perhaps the hardest and most sobering times in my life, and it's interesting because that usually goes hand in hand. And both of those times had to do with death and my own mortality. The first of which was my first uh, combat deployment to Iraq, and I fought in the Battle of Fallujah in 2004 and 2005, and I was confronted with my own mortality um, every day. Um, If I wasn't um, engaged in a firefight, I heard firefights going on. And as most combat deployments go, um, you've seen the movies. And uh, this happens in the movies, and it happens in real life. Before a group of men are about to go off to war, um, inevitably, some older, uh, more experienced, gruff sergeant stands up and says, some of you are not coming back. 
and we see it in the movies, but it's true. It, it happens. It's probably happened all the way um, back to the history of war because it's true. And you need to face the realities. And, and yet, even though it's true and even though um, people stand up and say that, um, when it actually happens, it still comes as a shock. And it's interesting that it is a shock. Because here you have warfare, and what happens in warfare? People die. And men are trained to go to war and to avoid death and try to escape death and to kill the enemy rather than be killed themselves, and yet they know that people are going to die, and yet when it actually happens, it's still a shock. As if, how, how did this happen? I remember my job was a radio operator, and we had these, um, what we would call battle roster numbers for each person. And the whole point of that is that when you would call a wounded over uh, Jones was wounded or Smith was killed in action, you wouldn't say Jones or Smith, you'd say the number so it wouldn't have that um, demoralizing effect on all the people listening on the radio. But what would happen nonetheless is you would hear the battle roster number come over the radio and then immediately you would go to the battle roster and find, oh, Smith just took a bullet to the head. And even though you trained for it and you knew it was going to happen, there's still an instance where your heart sinks into your stomach and you think, no, this can't be true. But everything in you tells you it is true. They died. They died in the prime of their life. Because that's what happens in war. And it's not just war, but it's other accidents, tragedies, when death strikes and your first reaction is, no, maybe they were wrong, maybe they made a mistake, maybe, no, they couldn't be lying, but that's the effect of death and facing death. We don't want to face death. We push it off. As long as we possibly can, we don't want to think about it. We live in a sanitized culture which uh, puts death um, into the corners of, of nursing homes and hospitals. We don't see it. But it's beneficial to not only see it, but to meditate upon it. And that was the blessing of my first combat deployment to come face to face with my own mortality. And it resulted in, in a sense, God using it to draw me to salvation. But there's a, a, a second time in my life that had a great impact in me in terms of my spiritual growth. And it also dealt with death. And that was my time serving as a hospice chaplain. Because during those two years, even though they were probably the hardest two years of my life, I had the blessing and opportunities to minister to people in all sorts of 
circumstances, most of which not, not just the person that was on hospice, but the family members. And death was looming in the air. And I had the blessing and opportunity to minister to people in discouragement, or discouraged because of their circumstances, whether um, it was the person that was going to die or had the, the, the diagnosis and, and, uh, and the potential of dying or um, the people around them. I had the opportunity to minister to people in delusion due to either their disease or their disability or the drugs that they didn't even know they were dying or they were unaware. Another, you know, add another level of sadness and despair and frustration. Also had the opportunity to minister to people in delight in the midst of the facing the fact of death. They had delight because they had an eternal hope. They knew where they were going, but also because they could see all the blessings in their life, that they had lived a blessed life, and they could thank God, and they looked forward to God. And this, there's this, in a sense, this supernatural delight of thankfulness. But sadly, I also had the opportunity to minister to people in denial, who refused to accept reality. I remember going into one house, and there was this man, and um, I don't know, he's either late 60s, early 70s. He had some sort of uh, cancer in his throat to where uh, that was starting to spread and, and to where he had to use one of those devices so he could speak and the air would go and kind of um, do what the the vocal cords are supposed to do, and, and uh, there he is in this dark room, and uh, another chaplain, I'm, I'm shadowing him, and we go in, and this man is there in the dark room, and, and uh, he, was, uh, he was a child of the 60s, and uh, he was there, uh, you know, drinking and smoking and, and, and watching uh, uh, some documentary on, on Jimi Hendrix, and, and just there, and and we're talking to him, and uh, his family members are um, in other rooms, and, and they're cleaning up. They're getting ready to sell the home, and, and we're talking to him about um, his future and, and eternity and trying to somehow um, seek that point of contact where we can uh, share the gospel with him and, and point him to Christ, and, and he just says... You ask him about his future and what he thinks, and he says, oh, I, I have great hope. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this aggressive therapy, and I, I think everything's going to turn out right, and, and it's going to go well, and, and you can see the look on his family members' faces, and you, I, I look to the other chaplain, I see the look on his face, and everything within me just wanted to scream, dude, you are dying! You're dying. It's coming. You can't escape it. It's right around the corner. And in a sense, this is what Solomon is trying to do to his readers right here in this passage. This is, in a sense, uh, what 
you know, years ago, you would see these programs, the scared straight program. You take the, the, the young um, teenager um, into the jails or whatever and, and scare them straight. But Solomon is doing this to all his readers to, in a sense, scare them straight to the realities of life. That life has an end. And it comes oftentimes unannounced. But whether it comes unannounced or not, it comes. And whether it comes when, um, you know, early or late, it comes. And oftentimes, not only does death um, come unannounced, but old age comes unannounced as well. Our decline, our loss of our independence, loss of abilities, uh, diseases, disabilities. Sometimes they come unannounced. And, and Solomon is telling his readers, and, and there is a sense that this is primarily focused at young people. As he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. There's a sense that this is directed more at the um, young person in the prime of their life. Which could range anywhere from uh, teenage years to the 40s. Depending on how you take it. But nonetheless, this is pointed at someone who is, is still has um, uh, all their abilities and their faculties. And can live life. Solomon is confronting his readers with the brevity of life and their inevitable decline and death. And he does this in three ways. First, by way of exhortation. Second, by way of illustration. And third, by way of admonition. And that's how we're going to look at Solomon's warning concerning death and decline and old age. So first, we're going to look at Solomon's exhortations. Solomon's exhortations, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days happen and the years draw near in which you will say, I have no delight in them. Once again, he's, you know, as he says, in the days of your youth, that would imply that he's talking to the youth, to young people. But nonetheless, it, it, we can still draw application, no matter what your age, you can still draw applications to this. Even if your youth is long gone, you're still here, you're still listening, you can still do things. You, you're still alive, so you can still draw application from this to remember your creator in the days of your youth. What, what are we to remember? What are we to remember about our Creator. There's three things that we could draw from this, three things that we need to remember. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, remember our Creator. Remember that we have a Creator. Uh, in, in a sense, remember in light of your creatureliness. That's the first thing. Remember in light of your creatureliness. That, that Remember that you are a creation. And therefore... You have been created for a purpose. 
that you have a creator and you've been created for a purpose. And so you are to live out that purpose. You're not just to live according to your own desires or your own um, inclinations or whatever you feel like doing in the moment. You were created for a purpose. You exist for a reason. And also remember that you are accountable and you will be held accountable to your creator. This is the main point he is trying to drive home to his readers, to the youth, that you have a creator. Remember him. Remember him in the prime of your life when you're, everything within you just wants to live for yourself and, and whatever you feel is pleasing in the moment. Also, remember in light of your span of life. Before the evil days happen and the years draw near in which you will say, I have no delight in them. Remember that your life has a span of phases and seasons. A, a, a span of growth, of maturity and decline. That, that there's times of ability and opportunity and then inabilities and disabilities. And times when uh, the opportunities have passed. That there's phases and seasons of life. So remember your creator. Remember that your life has a span of times. Also, remember in light of your decline. Remember that your time is limited. That you will die. And most of us know this, either logically or factually, or we meditate upon it. That our time is limited, our days are numbered, there will be a time when we die as appointed unto man once to die, and after that comes judgment. But sometimes what we don't often remember, and I think what Solomon is also getting at here, is that we will eventually decline. If you live long enough, unless you die young, you will decline. And oftentimes, we, we just like to assume that we'll continue to be able to do the things we always like to do. And, and we'll continue to have all the, um, all the blessings of our, our physical abilities and our mental faculties. You know, I, I remember um, not too long ago, it was probably about 10 years ago, uh, you know, my late 20s, early 30s, I... I got into long distance running. I didn't run a lot of races, but I would try to run a half marathon at least a year, once a year. Um, I ran a marathon once and in all of these uh, long distance running, and that's one of those um, sports where people can do, if you're blessed, you can do well into your, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. I, I remember running half marathons and almost every time, every race, some gray-haired old lady would pass me. And I would be humbled. But I'd also be hopeful. Because I'd look at that and I would say, that's going to be me. That's going to be me when I'm older. After aging a bit, and I, I can still run, I, I learned a little bit more that that might not be me. I don't know what disability will, or disease might come around the corner. And the same is true with another thing I love is, is backpacking and going off into the middle of the wilderness and just seeing the great wonders of God's creation. And, and sure enough, 
every time I'd see some elderly couple going up over a mountain pass and be like, that's going to be me. But I don't know that. I don't know if I'll get a disease. I don't know if my knee will go out or what the future holds. I don't know if I'll, I'll be able to, to do that later in life. And the fact of the matter, that might not be you. You might not age well. You know, and so this is what Solomon is, is in a sense, getting at. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Because you don't know what the future may hold. You don't know what disabilities or uh, diseases lie around the corner. Or you don't know if, if you'll just suddenly die. Solomon's exhortations are primarily pointed at the youth to help them understand to make the most out of the prime of life. And primarily in, in regards to their the relationship with their creator. Not, not just to, you know, check off those items on your bucket list, which, as I said last week, isn't entirely wrong because God has made this world and he's given us things to enjoy and we are to enjoy um, the abilities, the opportunities, the blessings he has given us. We're not to live completely for um, the things of this world. We're to remember him. We're to, in a sense, use our youth and our abilities to serve him. But we're also to enjoy the good things he's given us. But, you know, we need to make the most out of what we have while we have it because it, we might not have it that long. And as Solomon uh, confronts uh, his readers, and primarily the youth, you know, it's interesting, is he confronts them about the fact that they will die, and they will probably age. It's interesting because as most, as with most young people, if you just tell them something, it doesn't really sink in. And so you have to paint the picture for them, which is what Solomon does next. He gives the exhortations, and then second, we see Solomon's illustrations. He illustrates for his readers what will happen in old age. And his illustrations are of four things. Illustrations of the heavens, illustrations of warriors and workers, illustrations of sights and sounds, and then fourth, illustrations of places, appearances, and performance. So we'll see this in verses 2 to 5. Solomon says, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days happen and the years draw near in which you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and valiant men bend down, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few and those who look through windows grow dark and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blooms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home, but the mourners go about in the street. You know, there's 
several um, commentators, uh, pastors, have um, looked at this and, and uh, seen uh, different uh, meanings out of these illustrations. Um, but for the most part, they, they all agree that it's of old age. It's illustrations of the aging process. Um, they slightly differ on some things, but as a whole, it's about what happens as one ages and they slowly lose their abilities. And the first one is of the heavens. Solomon uh, speaks about the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. He, he's talking about the lights dimming. Um, per, perhaps a, a, a loss of eyesight, a slow loss of eyesight that, um, you know, as we know, ma many of our um, senior saints don't like to uh, come out to evening church, especially in the winter, because it's, they don't want to drive at night. It's harder to see. It, it's not safe. We sympathize with them. And, and many um, elderly people, they don't, there comes a point where they, they can't drive no, no more. And, and their eyesight just, it, it fails. The lights grow dim. And then we got this, this other picture, the clouds, and clouds return after the rain. And, and many differ on the meaning of this, that maybe it refers to the storms of life come in, and, and it's just always stormy, always gloomy. But, in taking this with, with the rest of the picture, what I, and with my experience with ministering to elderly people, well, I get this because each one of these pictures is some physical ability that is failing, that fails to work. And what I get this to mean is the clouds return after the rain. This is what happens to uh, your bladder control or your prostate. I just went. And now I feel like I have to go again, but I don't have to go, or I can't, it's the loss of control. It's the water cycle. Solomon is, is giving this picture of the heavens, and two things in the heavens are the lights and the water cycle. And then he'll go down to his next illustration of warriors and workers. In verse 3, you know, there's a loss of eyesight, loss of maybe bladder control, or, um, you know, uh, something with your uh, prostate or incontinence. And then the warriors and workers. In verse 3, In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and valiant men bend down, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dark. We have these two pictures of warriors, watchmen, and workers. The warriors are the arms. The watchmen of the house tremble. The arms shake. They tremble. They're watchmen because they protect. They, they, they guard. You, you guard yourself with your arms, with your hands. It's what you use to, to defend yourself, to guard yourself. It's what warriors use. And then the valiant men bend down, the, the, the back and the legs. A valiant men is a picture of a soldier standing valiantly up upright, but now he's bending low. He's, so uh, the, the major muscle groups, uh, the, the arms, the legs, the back. You know, and then the workers. 
The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. Grinding ones, a, a, a picture of, um, you know, a, a mill, a grinding mill. But what Solomon is getting at here is the workers, the, the teeth, the grinding ones, stand idle because they are few. The loss of teeth, they're, 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 there's few. And, and those who look through the windows grow dark, the eyes. The, we see these workers, uh, the, the teeth and the eyes that, that um, work to bring in food and, and, and guide us through life. They grow idle, they're few. They're, they're, the windows grow dark. You know, I, I remember um, I got braces later in life um, in my mid-30s. And I remember going to the orthodontist and he was... He was just the most enthusiastic orthodontist ever, and he loved his job. And he said, he said, you know, he's like, it's good that you're getting braces. He's like, you're getting, he's like, you know, if, if, if your teeth are aligned, he's like, you can take better care of them. And if you take good care of them, you can keep your original teeth into your 90s. <laughs> I was like, well, that sounds good. Thank you. Like, I, I do want to, but I don't want to think about that now. But, but there is, you know, it happens. And it's interesting because, you know, then, then I would, you know, look around at elderly people and, and their teeth more. And then you see the, the elderly people with really white, bright, shining teeth. And they're all straight. And they're like, you get closer, those aren't teeth. <laughs> Those are dentures, um, but it's a reality. It's a reality. The arms that tremble. You see people in, you know, um, Parkinson's is one of those diseases and, and other diseases um, where it just, you can't hold on. You can't, you can't do those subtle movements. You, you can't protect yourself. Uh, uh, falling risk. And then, Solomon's third illustration of sights and sounds. Verse 4. And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low, and one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. These are sights and sounds of life, uh, the sights and sounds of production. The doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. You think of... Um, a grinding mill, a sound of production, of, of producing grain and, and, uh, and that fuels um, industry and production, especially in the agrarian culture, the, this sight and sound of production. This is a picture of the mouth, lips and teeth, uh, eating, consuming, uh, even speaking maybe. That the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. People, because they don't, they don't eat much anymore or they don't speak much anymore. Or, or maybe it's because of the loss of teeth. They don't want to show their teeth anymore. It's just, um, just a, a gradual, everything is slowing down. Production is slowing down. You know, and it's also, you know, you can always, many of these um, pictures, you can look at the opposite of the young man. You know, I remember growing up and, um, you know, the, not only me, but many of my brothers and many of the other teenagers, uh, their parents would um, complain, what do you got, a hollow leg? 
Where, where are you putting all that stuff? And you just you got a constant ravenous appetite. And then now, in, now the opposite is true. There's almost no appetite. Uh, you have to almost force feed or, uh, an elderly person, or, or they have to force themselves to eat. And, and nothing is appealing, or, or things lose their appeal. And then the sight and sound of, of rest. One will arise at the sound of the bird. It's interesting because, uh, you know, it's, this is a picture of any little sound. Any little sound just wakes you up. It's, it's, you know, you're always tired, but then any little sound will interrupt your sleep. Your, your, your rest is inconsistent and it's easily disturbed. And then there's this picture of the, the sights and sounds of festivities. And all the daughters of song will sing softly. There's these two things. You, you, you wake up easily at the sound of a bird, a, a soft sound, but then you don't hear the daughters of song. The daughters of song will sing softly. This, the, the pleasing sounds that you want to hear or, 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 or listening to other people, you can't hear. And the things that you don't want to hear you hear the the different and the different pitches and tones the the hearing is is diminishing all of these uh, faculties are declining and greatly diminishing production rest the festivities of life and then we get to his his fourth illustration of places appearances and performance. Verse 5. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blooms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home, but the mourners go about in the street. You know, the, the places, uh, the places of risk. Men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Uh, uh, you know, picture, you know, all. All throughout um, Scripture, you know, uh, men are to be bold and courageous, especially in their youth, and especially valiant men, and especially when we think of kings like David and Solomon and the valiant warriors, but now they're afraid of high places, of going up a ladder, or it might be um, dizziness, it might be vertigo, it might be the fact that, you know, if I fall and I uh, twist my ankle, or I might break a hip, or I might easily break a bone, and there's a great risk, fall risk. One, one of the main things when I was a hospice chaplain, make sure, everybody, make sure there's no clutter, there's no wires, fall risk, because once you get to a certain age, a, a fall can do you in. Or it can make your life just exponentially more miserable because of the recovery process. And you may not recover. These places of risk, men are afraid of a high place and, and of terrors on the road. Terrors on the road. And, and we know this in, in driving. You know, as elderly are um, less prone to drive or, or they drive slower because their reaction time. But this is the same in the ancient 
times. Uh, obviously, they didn't have cars, but there were, nonetheless, roads were busy, not as busy as our roads, but people came and, and, and went with, uh, with horses and mules and donkeys and carts and uh, uh, perhaps chariots and children running to and fro. And so there's all these potential hazards that, um, you know, when in our younger days we would just um, not even think of and we would um, go in and out and up and down the roads and, and now every little thing is a terror because I don't know if that person's going to hit me. I don't know if I'm going to trip over that. Uh, and you, you can't react. These places of risk. And then there's this, this illustration of the flower. The almond tree blooms. You know, if you're familiar with almond trees, uh, we, we, had the, um, we, we had the privilege of living in the Central Valley of California for a while where there's almond orchards everywhere. And what happens is when they bloom, it just turns white. The tree, a, a brown tree in, in the springtime, when that tree blooms, it's just full of white. This is the, this is, this is the head. This is the, the head of the, the, the aged. This is the gray hair. This is the white hair that just all of a sudden, I used to have blonde hair. I used to have dark hair. All of a sudden, it's, it's gray, and then all of a sudden, it's white. Or all of a sudden, it's gone. <laughs> it's no more. And, uh, you know, the almond tree blooms. The grasshopper drags itself along. This picture of the grasshopper. It's interesting. Um, you know, if you're familiar with the, that TV show, I believe it was all throughout the 70s, Kung Fu, a little young grasshopper. Young grasshopper. And that was, there's something to that illustration, young grasshopper, because when you see grasshoppers, what happens? You, you go along and there's a grasshopper sitting there and you get close enough and all of a sudden it's just gone. It's just the speed at which a grasshopper can just fling itself up into the air, that, that ability to just jump. And Solomon is saying the grasshopper drags itself along. It, it, it's not as quick anymore. It can't jump anymore. It, it, it's dragging itself along. A, a grasshopper that usually would just, it's hard to catch. Now it's dragging itself along. And then the caperberry is ineffective. The caperberry, it was, it was a, an ancient aphrodisiac. Um, it's, it's ineffective. There's this, you know, you, you can think about that a, a little bit, you know, um, in terms of, you know, Solomon's own um, life and, and just the desires of men, um, the drive of young men. But it's, it's more of a, a, a pathetic picture. And we see a bit of this picture in, in uh, David's life. You know, you can turn there, 1 Kings chapter 1, as David is aging. And we get this, this picture of just... David aging, and it says in 1 Kings 
1, um, in the beginning, uh, verse 1, it says, Now King David was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes, but he could not keep warm. Another thing we see with just the circulation, it, it, it slows down and you can't keep warm. So his servant said to him, Let them seek a young virgin for my lord the king, and let her stand before the king and become his nurse, and let her lie in your bosom that my lord the king may keep warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. Now the young woman was very beautiful, and she became the king's nurse and attended him. But the king did not know her. And there's, there's been people throughout church history and, and uh, Christians, believers, skeptics, who um, wonder whether or not David did know her. But the pathetic scene is, is the fact that even if David wanted to, he couldn't. He was just uh, decrepit. Everything. It, there, there's nothing that could, you know, the most beautiful young woman. And, you know, sometimes we think of, I, I think of it from the young woman's perspective. And, you know, just <laughs> think of young teenage girls. Ew. But it's just the, this pathetic scene of all his faculties, everything that a man would hold in pride or um, have confidence in, it's all gone. It's all gone. He can't even keep himself warm. Everything. He, he's, he's declining completely. And then we see this, this last picture. For man goes to... His eternal home, but the mourners go about in the street. Everything, everything eventually is lost. We see the funeral. There's one, um, and I've seen this several times with elderly, and especially when they lose one ability after another, and, and they just assume that. Well, I've always been able to drive myself or I've always been able to walk over there or do this or, you know, um, put on my own pants, put on my own socks, bathe myself. And, and it's, I can only imagine what it's like to so all of a sudden have to accept the fact that I can no longer do simple tasks that came so easy and naturally. One author said this, he said, Inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. What happened? How did... <laughs> and there is, a, a, you know, that saying, he's, he's young at heart. And there is in a sense where you, should, you ought to be joyful, delightful, um, humble, um, willing to accept uh, what's going to happen to you. But aging... Aging is a slow and gradual process of being humbled and eventually being put in your place by your creator. And it's only navigated well by the humble. It's a slow and gradual process of being humbled and it's only navigated well by the humble. In, in studying for um, these sermons throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, there's one commentary, commentary and it's, it's, it's more of a devotional it's a small book, and, and it has been a delight just to read one pastor. as He, he wrote this book, uh, David Gibson, this book, Living Life Backward, 
I'd highly recommend that. David Gibson, Living Life Backward. And in that, that book, he writes this. He says, The preacher's realism about being an old person leads him to issue commands to a young person. The coming failing of my body should inform the present working of my body. My certain death must invigorate my current life. Putting one foot in the grave is the way to plant the other on the path of life. That's, that's Solomon's main point here, his main application, his main lesson is that not only will you die, but if you live long enough, you will decline as well. And so the coming failing of my body should inform the present working of my body. To work and to do while I have opportunity. Because I don't know how long that opportunity will last. And so Solomon gives these illustrations of what's going to happen as you age. And then he ends this section with admonitions. Solomon begins with exhortations and he goes to illustrations. And now he ends with admonitions. Verses 6 to 8. Remember him. Before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the spring is broken and the wheel at the cistern is crushed, then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. You see uh, three admonitions here by Solomon. The first admonition is to remember before it breaks. Remember before it breaks. It's interesting, I was, I was thinking about this. Solomon has uh, uh, pictures of uh, a few things which break. He says, remember him, verse 6, before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the spring is broken, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Four, four things which are broken. And he says, remember before it breaks. It, 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 immediately made me think of, uh, you know, this saying, uh, something we would say in the military when someone would get injured or many people would get injured or you'd have people that they, they could no longer work or they, were, they had to recover and uh, we would call them broke people. They're broken. It, it, kind of jokingly, but it is true because we, we're pic picturing this person as almost as a cog in the machine. And now that cog is broken. They can't operate. So now we have to wait until they get fixed. He's broken. And this is what is going to happen to all of us eventually. And Solomon says, remember him before the silver cord is snapped. This is a picture as, as most would think of the spinal cord. Um, or an illustration as some might think of in, uh, a, an extravagant lamp. In the ancient world, that is, uh, uh, you have the the golden bowl. It, it might be the lamp, and, and a silver cord may be the the cord that it hangs from. But nonetheless, the cord is snapped, and then the golden bowl is brushed, is is um, crushed. That may be referring to the brain, the pitcher, and the wheel. Um, the pitcher by the spring is broken, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Um, pointing us to water, and especially in that day and age, water was, water equaled life, the spring of life. You can no longer draw up water which sustains life. 
All of it's, it, it, it's broken. Solomon says, remember before it breaks. And then he says, second, his second admonition is remember before it returns. Verse 7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Remember before it returns. Before the dust returns and the Spirit returns. We, we've heard this. It's, um, it's been quoted at um, many of funerals. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's, it's from Genesis 3. It's from this, this uh, verse right here. Genesis 3, right after... Um, uh, Adam falls and, and, and God confronts um, uh, Adam and Eve and he says in Genesis 3.19, By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. It's the effect of the fall that in the day you eat of it you will die. You're taken out of the dust and to the dust you will return. And it's interesting as, you know, is uh, it, a few weeks ago, and um, Anthony Silvestro was here and speaking on um, apologetics and evangelism, and he brought up that statistic of um, what is dust made out of, the dust in your air, the dust particles, it's uh, dead skin cells. Dead skin cells at your skin, everything, your skin, your body, eventually breaks down, and as it dies, it turns back into dust, and it goes back to the dust from whence it came. And the same with the Spirit. The Spirit will re return to God from whence it came. So Solomon's admonition is remember before it returns. And then finally, his final admonition, remember before it vanishes. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This term vanity, and, and uh, uh, I haven't commented on it as much throughout our series, but this term, this Hebrew term hevel, it's almost like a, a weightlessness, a vapor, uh, it's a mist, it, it, it's, just, uh, it's just here and then it's gone. It, it, it's of little substance. It's vain. Um, right away we, we see this, we, we think of vapor, we think of vanishing, and we think of James chapter 4. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. We don't know how long we'll live. We don't know what's around the corner. We don't know... Um, if we'll be taken right away in an accident or a disease or if we'll have a long, slow, gradual decline. We don't know the trials or the challenges that come around, but nonetheless, we know that our time is limited. And we are to say, as James tells us, if the Lord's wills, we will live and do this or that. And that's where we get that term, Lord willing, from. And we ought to live our life that way. Lord willing. I'll do this or that. Lord willing, I'll have all my abilities and all my faculties. Lord willing, I'll, I'll be able to serve God tomorrow or in the next year or whatever it may be. Lord willing, I'll be able to take that vacation. Lord willing, I'll be able to enjoy all the blessings that God has given me. 
This is part of Solomon's admonitions to remember before it breaks, remember before it returns, remember before it vanishes, because one day it will. One day it will. And, and as we've seen in the beginning, as I said, a, a lot of this is pointed at the youth. And it's interesting because um, we see a lot of young people in our day and age, in our society, and sadly in the church who waste time, waste abilities, waste talent, waste their treasure on themselves. And yet on the other side is the fact that church history is full of stories and testimonies of bold, zealous young men and women who have done great things for God and the furtherance of the gospel in his church. That's what Solomon is pointing at, to remember your creator in the days of your youth, to serve him, to seek him while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near, to trust in him, to live for him and not for yourself. And it's also interesting is, you know, when you look at statistics for conversions, that favors the young. Most people come to Christ in their teens and 20s, maybe some in their 30s, but uh, elderly conversions and deathbed conversions are rare. Because God, he, he's pleased in saving young people and using them. And he wants to use them. So as we think about this passage, we consider our own mortality, our own decline, there's really three main applications that stand out. First and foremost, don't wait to call upon God while he is near, to seek him while he may be found. If you're not in the faith or you're unsure, call upon him. Seek him because you don't know what tomorrow may bring. Second, don't wait to serve God while you can. You don't know how long you'll have the abilities or the opportunities to serve him. I've ministered to many of believer on their deathbed or declining, and they just wanted to go to church, or they just still wanted to serve in church, or they wanted to do something. They spent all their lives in church. And I would remind them that they had their time to serve, but I'd also remind them that, well, you do what you can where you're at with what you have, and you can always pray. And there are seasons of life. But if we spend the bulk of our Christian life just living for ourselves, what good is that? Don't wait to serve God while you can. Third, don't wait to enjoy the blessings God has given you in this life. Because there will come a time when you don't have the abilities or the opportunities to do so. It's not a sin to take a vacation. It's sinful to be worldly, definitely, to be hedonistic, but it's not sinful to enjoy the blessings of this life. But there will come a time when you won't be able to take that vacation or go on that road trip or go on that hike. It's going to pass. So enjoy it while you can and praise God for it. Dr. William Barrick, he writes this in his commentary on this whole book. He says this, only by accepting the reality and naturalness of death can a person face life with the kind of joy that Solomon encourages in the enjoyment passages. For the wise believer, contentment with the brevity of life produces a freedom for living the life God gives in his service and for his glory. 
And then he quotes uh, Chuck Swindell, Swindoll, who offers three pieces of practical advice. First, I must face the fact that I'm not getting any younger. This is true. We, we often say that in jest, but it's true. We're not getting any younger. Second, God has designed me to be empty without him. Uh, that's why Solomon tells his readers to remember their creator. Apart from him, life is empty and, and futile and useless. And then third, now is the time to prepare for eternity. Now. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. Now is the, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to not only seek God, but to serve him. Because you don't know what tomorrow may bring. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these strong, hard uh, words and lessons and implications and applications. Too often, if we're honest with ourselves, we go about our lives with uh, plans and expectations for tomorrow and the week ahead and the month ahead and this next year as if it's going to go according to our plans. As if... Uh, this next week will be like last week, as if tomorrow will be somewhat like today. And there is a little bit of truth in that, that there are uh, rhythms and routines of life, and, and we are called to make plans and to uh, uh, be stewards of our time. But the fact is, is we don't know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know what uh, will happen later tonight. We don't know the future at all. We don't know how long we will live. We don't know the, the uh, nature and length of our life. We don't know what trials or challenges may come around the corner or, or what blessings and opportunities. So Lord, help us to redeem the time and to make the most of the time and to live our days for you and, and not for ourselves and our own fleshly sinful desires. We thank you for your grace and mercy. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.